Hello, thank you for joining us on A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We'd like to get to know you better. Visit awardinseasonpodcast.org, fill out our survey, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a free gift. On awardinseasonpodcast.org, you will find many resources available to you. You can read Doug's blog, check out our recent episodes from the Transforming Leadership series, and learn more about Somebody Cares America and Somebody Cares International and how they are responding to recent natural disasters and global crisis. You're about to hear a beautiful story of grace and resilience that will fill your heart with hope and vision. We are about to join our hosts, Doug and Lisa Stringer, as they welcome Jan Tennyson, who went from being a foster kid to a successful ministry leader and author. Let's dare to dream as we welcome Doug. I am so extremely blessed today and excited to have Jan Tennyson as our guest. I'm actually going to have my wife co-host with me because she and I have been going through Jan's book called The Jan Tennyson Story, She Dares to Dream. I just want to read a little bit about her bio for those that don't know. Mountaintop experiences in ministry have taken her from the River Jordan in Israel to the jungles of Costa Rica, the orphanages in Romania and Russia a refugee camp in Thailand, an earthquake survivors camp in Turkey, the schools, an orphanage, and a church in Cabo, Mexico, and other places too numerous to mention. She's literally been on television and radio. She's received all kinds of accolades and awards. Jan's one of the most humble people you will meet because with all the great people she knows and all the accomplishments and all that God has done in her life, she's still about glorifying the Lord and empowering people that they too can dare to dream through the most impossible circumstances. And her life story tells it. Lisa, you and I have been going through She Dares to Dream, the Jan Tennyson story. Tell us a little bit about your experiences. You've been reading through it and we've been reading it together. I'm going to start with the scripture that Jan has in her book and it's 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. She is an excellent writer, one that is very colorful in her expressions. She engages you through this book. It's one of those you don't want to put down. In the midst of it all, it proves right there in that scripture that although she was born to two parents that were together, ended up going into foster care, that from the time she was in her mother's womb, that he loved her, he ordained her, and he got her through challenging circumstances. And so, Jan, we just look forward to hearing your story. It was extremely impacting, encouraging, and I highly recommend it to so many. And I just thank you for the opportunity to let you shine the love of the Lord as you have throughout all of your life. Yes. Thank you so much for the honor of being on this podcast. I'm telling you, I have admired you, Doug, for years and years and years. And so it's just um, kind of a miracle that we are sitting here together today for times such as this, for some who are listening out there to be able to say, well, I don't have what all of you have, and I can't do this and I can't do that, which is a lie from Satan. It is definitely not what God has to say. If we can just see ourselves through God's eyes, we can accomplish more than we could ever dream. I didn't see myself through God's eyes. I never had that kind of encouragement, didn't know it. In fact, from when the beginning part of my story is in, in some of the foster care situations, 
I used to tell kids in school that my parents died in an airplane crash because I didn't want to tell my story. I was too embarrassed. Everybody else had a mom and dad and nice clothes and cute hairdos. And I just felt so different. And yet God has placed me as a very different person. I'm not like anybody and neither are you. I know that uh, he has plans and purposes, but it took a long time to know that. The story's been, you know, just one day at a time, sweet Jesus. And anybody listening, don't think you're not capable. If you're available, believe me, he will use you. Amen. For those that are considering foster care, the need for parents to go and love children. The time hasn't been greater than now that there are displaced children all over the world. Most of them don't know how to love. They don't know how to be kind. They don't know that. And the only way they're going to know that is through your example, showing them just a glimmer of a sparkle in your eye that says, I care about you. And it's an appointment from heaven that you're with us. And just empowering those young people to be able to say that this is a place. And for right now, this is where we want to give you God's best. And what's so sad is that trust level is very, very low for these children because they've been hurt so much. They've been told so many bad things about themselves. And that's why evangelism and foster parents are so important today. Christian foster parents who will pray at the table, who will encourage those young people say, I see you through God's eyes. I don't look at you the way the world might say, but I look at you the way God would say about you. And that's who you really are. And it just can lift your spirit. I never heard those words. I did see people, you know, foster parents going to churches and kneeling down and going through all the motions. But then I'd see a totally different person at a different time. As I said, it was very, very much of a like a tennis match. You never knew which way you were going to be that day. You didn't know what was going to happen. I can remember being in my bed as a little girl, my foster mother getting my brother and sister up early in the morning to scrub this kitchen floor and do the dishes. And if they didn't do it right, she'd throw the water all over and they'd have to stay there and be late for school to clean it up. That's just a mild situation. There's many children today that have much worse situations than that. And I think one of the blessings that the Lord gave me right from the get-go was to be able to have the attitude of gratitude. I did have a clean bed. I did have food on the table. I did have clothes to wear. I did have a warm house to live in. And those things were important to me and they are to everybody, but I could have focused on all the wrong things, which so many of us do in life. We focus on the trouble, but we forget to see the blessing. One of the things I have on my fireplace at home is I have a jar and I have some little pieces of paper in it with a pen. When I think about my day, I don't do this every day. I'll think, well, what, what was the biggest blessing today? And I'll write it down and I'll put it in that jar so that when, when I'm down and I'm, I get down sometimes, but not often, because I know that I've got a God who loves me. Every time I read one of those blessings, I'll say, look what he did do. Don't look at what he didn't do. He, he may still be doing it, but you just, it's not being answered the way you want it to be answered. All of us here have interfaced with, ministered to a lot of people in the adoption arena as well as foster care. And I don't mean to use this as a cliche because it can be, but the reality is, look, reading through your book over and over, you've had an ability to look at the cup half full 
rather than just half empty. And because of that, I think it's kept your perspective. And even now people go, well, look at Jan Tennyson. She's an international motivational speaker. She's gifted as a pianist. She's a choreographer and a writer, and she's got all these things going for her. But it didn't start that way, Jan. Tell us a little bit about your story so people who don't know can get to know you. Long before you became the person who knows all these well-known people today, what was your journey? How did you get to where you are today? Only by the grace of God. (laughs) Nevertheless, in the foster home, my foster mother wanted to be a concert pianist, and she had talent, and she did have a Baldwin baby grand piano in our house. She told the foster children, and we had eight to ten children. It was like the United Nations You know, little did I know that it's a foreplay of what I've done for the rest of my life to go to different nations. She wanted somebody in the family to play the piano. And so she told them she would pay for piano lessons if they would be willing to take them. No one accepted the offer. But I said, I'll go. So she took me to uh, the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music, where she knew the director. And he tested me just to see how I could take direction. By the end of the time with him, he said, I would be delighted to have you as a student. I traveled from Queens, New York, on the Long Island Railroad into Penn Station, from Penn Station into Brooklyn, and my foster father, that was a great day for him to get away from the house. (laughs) And so he enjoyed that. And we'd go to lunch together. And then in the afternoon, they would have a concert at the conservatory, and I would play on those concerts. And that was a very enjoyable time. But then you had to come back to the foster home, the kids didn't like you because you're all dressed up and you're like the star and they're peeling potatoes. Again, even within the home to feel like I was loved, it was still, they were jealous and I couldn't change that. I couldn't do anything about that. That part was hard. Nevertheless, I did survive. I had lots of disappointments. I had absolutely nobody at my graduation from high school. You know, different things like that. But again, it's looking at what you don't have instead of what you do have. I did get to graduate. But I was told that you're not going to college. You're going, that was not even in the picture at that time because they didn't go to college. And back then it was just uh, something that if you didn't go to college, well, you're not going to college. So sad because I now speak on college campuses and, you know, love every minute. I'm saying I would have been a great student. I would love all those activities and and do all that. But again, God replaced that by allowing me not just to be a student, but to be a teacher. I went to New York and I had the most boring job in the world. I was working as a typist for Metropolitan Life Insurance, downtown New York. And then I said, this is really kind of boring. And I met a young man who his father was the vice president of Bank of America. And he said, I think we could get you a job there. So I had very good administrative skills. And I became a secretary, a floating secretary to the different departments at Bank of America International. And I would go over to the stock exchange on my lunch hour and just watch all the craziness over there. I didn't understand the thing, but then I'd get on the Staten Island ferry, go past the Statue of Liberty to Staten Island, which I found out was where my parents actually grew up. And there actually was a home at the end of Staten Island. And at And that's where my father and his family grew up. So I'm actually a child with three siblings who had the father and his siblings who grew up in an orphanage. And when I went, I said, I I need to visit that orphanage. So I just got on a plane, got on on the uh, all the subways and everything and got in a 
a ferry and went across to Staten Island. And I'm saying, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't know what I'm going to find. And when I went there, there was a chapel where the children worship and they had pictures on the walls of the hallways of that particular home. And I saw this one particular picture and it said, children without dreams. Mm -hmm. Now this was way before I ever started Dare to Dream. And I said, children without dreams. And I'd see them uh, laying in the subway stations, you know, and underneath the stairwells of New York City. And they'd be picked up and put into orphanages. And, and what was something that fast forward was that I used to do a downtown parade here in Dallas with Dare to Dream and all our volunteers in, a, in my Mustang convertible, <laughs> 65. Little did I know that they did that same thing on St. Patrick's Day in New York City with the orphans from Mount Loretto. See how God just inadvertently just places different spotlights on things that, that resonate in your spirit. And then all of a sudden, there you are doing it. There's so much more to the story. One of the threads throughout the entire book is exactly what you pointed at. There's something that God birthed in Jan from the time that he created her. And that was a will to see beyond, a will to be able to also not feed into all the negativity that she was given as a child. You've taught me, Doug, that a lot of times we project emotions on other people. If I am mean, maybe it's because I had some issues and was mistreated. You've taught me to give grace because I need grace. In Jan, I see that God gave her a grace to survive and a forgiveness to forgive her foster mother and not look at all the bad that she did in her life, but instead say, wow, for whatever reason, I'm an incredible concert pianist because of my foster mother. Yes. Well, I, I realize that now. I don't think I always knew what grace was. But again, when you, it's, sometimes you get a gift that you can't see. And that's really what God did with me. He gave me that gift of grace to be able to look at the good things that I had and not to focus on what I didn't have. And I could have nursed and rehearsed like I see some of family members doing of all the wrong things and they can't have the joy of the Lord, you know, because they just are constantly nursing and rehearsing and playing a broken record that we cannot change the past. We can only change today and from this moment forward. So I really pray that there's people out there listening who feel like they might be stuck to say, well, you gave Jan that kind of grace. I want that grace. I want that same grace to be able to forgive and to be able to not be confused because our God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity. And it says so in the Bible. And if we will just focus on those characteristics that Jesus had and say, okay, well, me too. I want that too. I want to be able to have those things so that I can do good things for others. And most of the time when we're stuck in, in this situation that we're in now and all the horrible things that are going on, the only way that we're going to be able to have that joy of the Lord is by seeing who we can help. And the story of the Meyerson very quickly is that I didn't have any money at all when I started Dare to Dream. No sponsors, no money, no nothing. And I used every cent which wasn't much in my bank account, my savings account. And I just said, well, Lord, if you really want Dare to Dream to continue, you're going to have to give me an idea so profound that I'll know it's not Jan's idea. I'll know it's God's idea. The next morning I woke up and it was clear as a bell. There was no confusion. He said, do a concert at the Meyerson. Well, I'm saying, I don't want it to be about me. 
but I will go to the Meyerson and tell them that I wanted to do a fundraising concert for Dare to Dream. So I went down, I think within a week, spoke to the people in charge, and I said, I want to do a fundraising concert. And they said, well, what will you call it? I said, I'll call it an evening with the stars. They said, oh, we love that. That's just fantastic. I, he says, well, who are the stars? <laughs> I said, well, that is to be announced. But as soon as we can get the date solid, you know, I'll release that information. Didn't have a clue. <laughs> he said, well, let's take a look at the calendar. He said, well, Jan, to tell you the truth, everything is booked. Every good date is booked this year. We'll take a look at next year. And I said, no, no, it really has to be this year. And I just pretended like I just never even heard what he said. And I just, I don't know how I got that holy boldness, but I did. I just said, what's happening between Christmas and New Year's? And he said, oh, we're not even open during Christmas and New Year's. I said, well, that means that it's available, correct? And he said, yeah. Well, then he didn't say yeah. He said, are you sure? And I said, well, you'll still have the Christmas decorations up, correct? He says, yeah, we will. And I said, well, then why don't you pencil me in for December 28th? And he said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm really sure. And they did it. I said, I don't have a penny in my pocket to give you right now. And this was only six months out. And you know, it takes years to put something like that on in most cases, but this was going to be God's concert. This is not Jan's concert. So I said, okay, once I got the date on the calendar, then I was right there ready to roll. And I said, God, I don't know how to do this, but you do. So who do I know who could even be on the stage? Well, I knew Linda Septian and I knew that she could sing to Broadway. And then I said, well, I'm going to need a pianist. And I looked when I go to weddings or whatever, I, I look, are they a good talent, you know, et cetera. And I'll put them in my database. Well, I looked at all my peanuts and I saw this one and his name sounded very Christmassy. That's how I chose him. His <laughs> name was Klaus Kloon. And yeah. Klaus, he became the director of Christ for the Nation's yeah. Bible School. Yeah. And so he was my pianist on the stage of the Meyerson. He said, Jan, he said, I would be delighted to play at the Meyerson for you. And this was all pro bono. And I said to him, okay, he says, but Jan, there's somebody you have to see tonight. And I said, tonight, I said, I am so tired. I'm not going anyplace tonight. He said, well, I think you'll miss out. He said, there's a singer there that I really think you should contact. Turned out to be W.T. Greer. He was incredible, another incredible talent. And so it was incredible. And then we put that on and I said, okay, Jan, how are you going to do this? How are you going to make money? Because that's what this is about. It's not just a show. You need to make some finances. You don't have any money to continue. So I said, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to go to the homeless shelters. I'm going to all the shelters all around here. I'm going to put the homeless in the orchestra section. I'm going to put the children from Buckner and Casa on all those box seats and the pastors and whoever else wants to come can sit up in the nosebleed section. <laughs> and bottom line, that's exactly what I did. We didn't make any money. We didn't lose any money. But it was the springboard of chatter that went around that said, you know, I think we need to help this lady. She's serious. <laughs> and that really was what happened. And then I said, I need to have a speaker. And I didn't want to be the speaker. I said, I want to have somebody that this that the audience would come to see. And so I... I got the pastor of Hillcrest Church, and at the time it was Morris Sheets. And he said, oh, Jan, you don't want me. You know, I, I said, yes, I know. I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't know that this is what I was supposed to do. I said, but I want to tell you what to say. 
how many times does somebody, an orphan kid, tell the pastor what to say? So I said, it's called an evening with the stars. And the message I want to leave with these people is that here we are at just the beginning of a new year, brand new year. And I said, the stars, I want them to go away knowing that the stars are sitting right in their chair. Mm-hmm. And that when they go out into the world after this concert, that people will know by their sparkle and by their tenacity and by their uh, heart that they have been touched by the hand of God. And that's what the evening of the stars message was. So that's what happened. And Jan, to move on from there forward, on one occasion, I read in your book that you actually handed out blank business cards to some of the young people that you were speaking to. And you said, put your name and whatever title you believe you will have. Some of them wrote, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a doctor. What was the feeling like when these kids said, this is my dream. I believe I can do it. It just goes to show you that if ever you ask, ask the right questions. They could be sitting on a street under a bridge, ask the right questions and say, I see something good in you. I know that you have potential. I know that you can make it. I was invited to the Dallas International Street Church to speak to 12 of their homeless women. And they said, would you do that? And I said, absolutely. And I ended up doing 12 sessions and I did the same thing with them. I always have a scribe with me because sometimes I'm speaking and I forget what I say because the Holy Spirit takes over. And you know how that goes. You don't even remember what you said. She would take notes. And I said, now I'm going to, the first session is going to be getting to know you. So I want each one to give a snapshot of who they are, what they've done before they came here and what would be their dream if they could have it. I had all those notes and it was very close to Valentine's Day. And so I went to the dollar store and depending on what they said, I got a card that would resonate personally to them. And I would write personal notes about their dream. Came back on the next session and each one got a hand-delivered Valentine's card specifically written to their heart. And for most of them, that's the first one they've ever received in their life. What a tremendous opportunity that was to just build them up with the heart of God and just say, he loves you and he believes in you and he's going to Put in your spirit what it is that he has, his plan and his purpose for you. And they just are blown away. You know, it's just like, really? I said, yeah, he doesn't love me any more than he loves you. It gets to be so cool. And Doug mentioned about being down in Fort Lauderdale and bringing the kids from Covenant House on a yacht. Well, I never had a yacht. I've never been on a yacht. I've seen them. I like boats and I like airplanes and I like all those things. But I said, I'm sitting with my sister and we're on the intercoastal. And I said, look at those incredible dinner boats going by. Those would be great classrooms for some of the kids from the shelters down here. And she said, where do you get these ideas from? And I said, they just (laughs) seem to come. I think way out of the box. And so within minutes, a 52 foot blue water cruiser came into directly where I was sitting the name of the cruiser was the Sea Dream. And I said, oh, wow. And I got up. I started to walk towards the yacht. My sister said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to meet the captain. She said, you don't even know him. I said, I will. (laughs) So I went and I gave my card to one of the deck persons and, and he took it up to the captain. And he said, wow, dare to dream. What a coincidence. I said, well, 
this looks like a divine appointment to me. <laughs> and I said, I have a question. And he says, well, who are you? And I said, I'm a lady from Dallas that does outrageous classes for very disadvantaged children. And I would like to know, I do them in dream settings and your yacht looks like a dream setting. Would you be willing to let me use your yacht as a classroom for some of the youngsters right here in Fort Lauderdale at Covenant House? And we'll have them well-versed so that they'll be in good behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I was quiet and there was nothing said for about a minute. He said, Jan, he looked down at me and he looked back at my car and he says, you have hit my hot button. I would be delighted. So on three separate occasions, I was flown down there, filled it with kids from Covenant House and did many other things with them. But we had, uh, and I had a, a portable keyboard, which I still have. I brought it on board and it had a very Latin tune inside and I could just press a button and they could do all their cha-chas and all those kind of dances and uh, on the bridge. And it, and it was fabulous. And because of that, I was invited to the 20th annual Christmas boat parade. So we had 75 yachts in the parade and the, the city of Fort Lauderdale put the Dare to Dream banner on this yacht and put microphones and music where all the kids could sing Christmas carols to the crowds along the shore. And as the sun was going down, the lights were glittering on the water. Talk about a Dare to Dream event. It was spectacular. They will have a memory to last a lifetime, but so will I. But you mentioned Mary Kay also. That was another one. I did it on my birthday. It was my gift to me, but at the same time, I could share it with children from Buckner Children's Home and others. I had them come to Mary Kay's facility in vans. I had spoken to her secretary and said what I'd like to do. It's, it's my birthday present and I would like to be able to tell my story and then have Mary Kay come down and tell her story. She reviewed it with her. She said, I would be delighted. I love those sounds. See, God says, delight yourself in the Lord. <laughs> so I love the word delighted. <laughs> And so I did tell my story, kids from Casa, from Buckner, all of them, they had, you know, spiked hair and rings in their nose and all kinds of stuff, but they're all God's children. And so I said, now, you've heard why I'm doing this. Now, when she comes through those doors, I want it to be like spring-loaded seats and you just clap and greet her so that she really knows that we appreciate what she's allowing us to do here. And she did. And she came in the room and she had a gigantic basket and came down the aisle and they clapped and cheered for her. And it was like, this is the Miss America pageant. She said, yeah. I can't believe it. And she handed me this basket of gifts for my birthday, including a beautiful silk, a pink rose, which I still wear many times when I speak. And then we went through the entire facility. She, The, the young people got to see the how they did the makeup boxes and how they did everything. And then she had me and my guests up in her private room upstairs. Jan, we, there's no doubt, knowing you for many, many years and also rereading your book, that you definitely have a very tenacious spirit and resilient because you just don't see anything as a negative, nothing is a setback. You know, this is what's in your heart to see happen for, for these kids that you're helping and for others. But you're also very adventuresome. She's gone over to Turkey after the earthquake there, gone to the jungles in, in South America. And yet there's a story you tell in the book about how you really wanted to go, but you didn't have the resources. 
And they didn't think it was a good place for a prim and proper young lady to go to the jungles of, of South America. Tell us about that story. Well, I had a motive. And I've always wanted to do class a class in the White House. That's how it starts. So we go from the White House to the jungle. I said, you know, that that's really our house. And we pay taxes and, you know, we pay those salaries. So why should we not be invited there? What I did, I wanted to meet Dr. Tim LaHaye. And Dr. Tim LaHaye was doing Bible studies at Prestonwood Church in the fellowship hall. And so I said, I know what I'm going to do. See, this was my motive. I'm going to go meet him. And then he'll be able to help me to make a string into the White House. That's what my motive was. It turns out he wasn't there that day. And it turns out that they were showing a mission trip that they were involved in. Uh, Tim and Beverly were involved in this ministry in Costa Rica, and they were looking for people to go. I was blown away by the videos and stuff. And I'm saying, oh, man, I would love to go to that. And so they said, well, if somebody wants to go, I want you to come up and talk to us. So I went up and I talked to Tom Lamphere. And I said, Tom, I said, I'd love to go, but I don't have a penny to put on that trip. And he said, well, are you sure the mosquitoes are really big and there's alligators in that water? And I said, you know what? It sounds like a great adventure. He said, well, I'll tell you what. Wednesday, if you really feel like you're so still excited about going, you call me on Wednesday. So I did. I called him. I said, yeah, I'm excited. He said, well, I discussed this with my wife. And she's a very successful real estate lady. She has long fingernails and would never think of going to the jungle, <laughs> but she would pay for your trip. And I was blown away by that. So that was actually my first mission trip. I didn't even know what a mission trip was, but I went down there with, it was like all men, two nurses and, a, and myself. We went down and they were building houses for the teachers because the teachers were sleeping in the schools. That's an adventure. That should be a movie, that whole thing. Absolutely. There's one picture in the book of me getting the kids off the, the junk boat that comes down and uh, taking them into the school and speaking to them in school. I loved it. I, my, the office in Dare to Dream is filled with pictures of all of that. One of the scriptures that you mention is one of my absolute favorites, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above exactly. what we can ask or think. I think of Jan and I think of a foster girl whose biological mother was in a mental institution, a father who is unable to take care of you, has a drinking issue, you're placed in foster care, and you spoke about the White House. You end up being a special guest under Bush Sr. for the lighting of the tree. Share a little bit about that story because that has to encourage, as you said, those that are going through things that said, God, you can never open this door for me. You can never make this possible. If he can do it for Jan, he can do it for those that are listening. Exactly, exactly true. And and I didn't have the prayer life that I have today back then, but Jesus still called me. He tapped me on the shoulder, said that you, I have an assignment for you, as he has for many of you listening. He has assignments for us. We just don't know when and where, but if we're willing to go, you're going to have a beautiful surprise. When I had in my spirit that I wanted to do something in the White House, I knew Sam Johnson. He was a friend. I told him about my desire to do something there. He says, well, Jan, let me check on that. He didn't say no. Just notice, he didn't say no. He says, let me check on it. So he did. 
He says it's completely booked this Christmas, completely booked, which tells you that you're allowed to do something in the White House. So listen up. Today, it might be a little bit different. But back then, I, that was a possibility. He says, but let me check on one other thing. So he says, I've got the next best thing, which will be able to do it in the private room in the Capitol. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. So I knew that I needed to find a facility in Washington and people were saying, oh, we don't have those things in Washington, DC. And I, I had no money, I had no car, I had zero. So I took buses and I, but at first I, the telephone book is one of your greatest resources. And I looked for youth facilities and I found the Sasha Bruce house. They still write to me today. And I went and I told them, the executive director, what, what was in my thoughts. And he says, you want to take our kids to the White House? I said, it's a dare to dream thing. So I still have to work out a little bit, but I had like a day, one day to do the whole thing. It turns out that I was accepted. And I have a picture of me standing in the, at the White House on the telephone saying that we're here. And so we got to be the invited guests, all the kids from Sasha Bruce House and staff to go through the Christmas White House and, and that's like the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen in my life, filled with beautiful Christmas trees. And the kids had never, ever believed that that was even possible. But that evening, I wanted to have a, to close the session, to have dinner with them at their shelter. And I did. And they just wanted to sing. They were filled with joy. It was like a whole new world opened up. I says, I never want you to forget what happened today. Mm -hmm. Same thing on the boat. Don't ever forget, this is a memory to last a lifetime. I don't have any powers, special powers, but God does. Jan, I don't think you ever hear no. I think you hear there's possibility or maybe. Wouldn't you agree, Doug? <laughs> well, I was so encouraged. I mean, I've known part of the story. I've known you for many, many years. But just rereading and reading the book, it just reminds me of the God factor in your life and how you've always been able to see beyond the current circumstance and see better in people to see potential in people. You know, I've always said, I can look at a piece of property or dilapidated building, I see nothing. Others can see dreams of that. But for me, I, often I've been able to see people that others have given up on and I can look and say, but I see something in them that God can do. Because if God could do it in me, he can do it in them. And so you, you have this uncanny capacity to look past where things are and encourage people for greater. I was appointed by Governor Rick Perry for the One Star Foundation. We handled all the awards and stuff for volunteerism. And I see that in 2007, you actually were awarded the Governor's Lone Star Achievement Award. And then in 2012, you were recognized by the Dallas County Commissioner's Court for then 25 years of continual service to youth uh, that are from very tragic backgrounds. You've been doing this a long time. It's not something you said, well, I think it's a good idea as a stepping stone. This has been your life for all these decades. Well, you know, it was really interesting when I think about as a little girl, I wanted to be a dance instructor because I, God just gave me, I could watch it and I could do it. I'm not a big person that can read manuals, but if you show me, I'm a show me person. I love doing that. And I did teach dance for a little while. I also believe that you could take whatever it is that you love. And if you can make a living at it, that's great. Or if you can't, Find a way to give it away. If you give it away, touch others' lives. It's like now with this COVID situation, people, and at my stage of life, I'm not going into big crowds and I'm wearing my mask in stores and I'm doing the things I know how to do to protect myself. And when I know that I'm supposed to do something, I have perfect peace. When I know I'm not, 
if I don't have peace, I don't have permission. And that's kind of where I stand today. No peace, no permission. But I do know that I can take this time and I can say, look, Lord, as long as you're going to have me in this kind of, it's like an accordion. I used to be like this. And now the accordion's coming in a little closer, you know, that you have to do it the same amount of stuff in this amount of time. So what I decided, one of my board members gave me a tripod. I took the tripod, put it next to my piano and put my cell phone in and do FaceTime with COVID patients and uh, caretakers and just friends and say, this is your surprise sparkle for the day. And whether it be military music or whether it be a little, just a little happy birthday song, just to put a smile on their face. We can do that. There's people with dementia and they make no sense whatsoever, but you know, it's very hard if you've got a family member However, if you start to bring music, sing the old time songs, you'll put a smile on their face. You may not do anything else, but that's big to a dementia patient. And that's big to Jesus. Big. That's ministry. Well, in a moment, Jen, I'm going to have you pray for many who may not have come out of foster care. Maybe they have. Every year I speak at a gathering in the Woodlands, Texas, for Many of the kids, girls and, and boys that are in the foster care programs, and many feel like they have no, they're fatherless, so they have no parents' influence, and they feel helpless and hopeless. And yet it's because of friends like you and, and others that really have given your heart to giving hope where there seems to be no hope. I get so much out of your book. Uh, she Dares to Dream, the Jan Tennyson story. You'll love this book. I encourage you to get it, not just because of the story, but because it will minister to your heart story after story of what God can do in your life. But even for me, my dad's stepdad, in many ways, were absentee because they were Vietnam veterans. They were alcoholics for a season of their lives. And yet I saw so much of the redemption of God, even in the midst of what seemed to be difficult circumstances. Your book reminded me of the importance of that, of mm-hmm. seeing the good, even in the midst of difficulty. Lisa, if you have any final comments or a final question for Jan before Jan prays? I've heard it often said that if it doesn't make you bitter, it makes you better. Jan has exemplified how not to be bitter, even though she's had moments in her life where she cried herself to sleep. I just wanted you to touch on your mother seeing her in a mental institution where she, it's the first time you've seen her since she you were taken from her. She doesn't even acknowledge you to the beauty of how you were able to see her and even go to a Broadway show and how God has been able to use that to open doors for you by ministering the truth of forgiveness. As you know, in the opening scene of the book, and I said there was a movie, that first page of the book, the story of my sister and I walking up to the chapel at Mount Loretto. And it was the nuns who greeted us at the door. And she said that, have you seen Florence? And she was in a casket at the back of the church. And to know that there's a woman that I, I don't ever recall seeing her until I was 33 years old. I mean, I was taken from her. But at the same time, when the police found me, I was a baby in a diaper without food or shelter and taken to the New York family home. Because of the alcoholism in my family and the mental illness of my mother, we were divided family. We didn't have any kind of things to look up for or anything like that. But then actually, when my sister as an adult, she said, I, I'm going to go and visit our mother. And I found out that she did that. And she called me in Dallas. And I'm saying, you did what? Because in my head, she was gone. My family was working fine. I didn't need to go back there. I didn't need to go to my roots. That's, you know, yesterday's news. But when I heard that my sister had done that, I said, well, I want to go too. 
So I got to go and I actually took my little daughter, Lisa, who was like about five and my son, who was about three. And we went, she just was overjoyed, you know, and she sat down at the piano and played Broadway songs on the piano by ear. So there was talent back there. I'm sure that my parents were both fun people and everything like that, but I never got to see that. I've never seen them together in my entire life. But when I did go back, she would see me and my sister and she would tell the other people and then the nurses, she said, those are my daughters. Wow. And so she's, I mean, it, it would, could bring tears to your eyes, but that season didn't last a long time. I would send her pictures of us as children. And it's because she never got to see a graduation. She never got to see me play at a concert. She never got to see her children do what they do. And yet God allowed me to be able to play at her funeral. There was no music. It was a tiny little chapel with like maybe five different people from the institution there. Uh, and I said, well, where's the music? And then they said, oh, well, this is a very small situation, you know, at a small funeral, we're not going to have any music. And I looked and there was an organ that looked like it, it was out of a Frankenstein movie up on the top level. I said, could I go up there and take, check that out? So I went up and I got the dust off it. There was no music, but I knew I could play Amazing Grace. So as the casket came in, I have had flowers on it. I've had Amazing Grace playing as that woman body was put from there to there. Oh, so God knew it all. He mm. put it all together. He's going to give you good memories. And, and, and maybe some are sad, but that's a good memory that I had the honor to do that at a woman that I really didn't even know. And yet... It's the woman God chose to birth, to give me birth. Mm. And I'm grateful that all of us who have these stories of God, God has resilience for all of us. If we'll look at it and accept it and saying, you know, me too, I could do that. So I'm encouraging you. And I thank you, Doug, for the opportunity to do that. That any of you that are on there with broken spirits know that they can be lifted. And our God doesn't confuse you with anybody. He loves you personally. And he's going to take care of you if you will let him. And so one of the things that I will say is that if you think of somebody, before I pray, I asked Doug if I could read this, and it's the very last page in my book. And I put that there very purposefully, because we look at people who have a lot of money or have a lot of education, or have a lot of initials in back of their names, you know, and they're supposed to be successful. Well, let me read this to you. And Take it in your heart. It says there was a man born of Jewish parents in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for just three years, he was a preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves and his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and was laid in a borrowed grave. 2,000 years have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, 
and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Wow. That's excerpts from writing by James Allen Francis way back in 1864. And that is so true today. So I just want to go to the Lord right now. If you think that you have got a hard life, look at Jesus and look what he went through for you. So Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for being our king, our prince, our husband, our provider, and our protector. We thank you for what you did for each one of us personally. And Lord, I just ask that you bless every person with the sound of of my voice, Lord God, that they will know that they have everything they need when they love you, when they allow you to come into their hearts, when they will follow you all the days of their life. So Lord, if there's anybody listening that wants to get right with God, they can do it right now. They can do it today, this moment. Dear Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to teach me how to pray. I want you to help me to be the kind of person that I'm capable of being. Lord, teach me how to love again. Teach me to trust you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And it's in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just thank you for peace and harmony in the homes across this land. Lord God, I pray for the marriages. I pray for the individuals that have lost loved ones. And Lord God, I thank you for the doctors who, and Lord, I ask you for the grace to have the spirit of excellence in their decisions on how they treat the patients, Lord God. And I thank you for the families that are standing by when they can, Lord God, bless them, give them peace. And Lord God, help them all to turn closer to you, to have their hearts turned towards you. So we plead the blood of Jesus over America and the world, Lord God, and each one that knows you, Lord God, will take this tremendous time to go and evangelize and tell others what Jesus did in their lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we thank you for this precious time with your Holy Spirit in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Matthew 17, 20 refers to the faith of a mustard seed and that we can ask a mountain to move out of the way. Jan, thank you for showing us that mountains can be moved. I have a mustard seed right here. (laughs) two little hearts that Mary Kay gave me, and it has a mustard seed right in them. She dares to dream the Jan Tennyson story. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to share this podcast because it's a story that everyone needs to hear. Jan, thank you for your many years of friendship. Thank you for your consistency. And thank you for uh, ministering to our family. So God bless you. Head over now to a wordinseasonpodcast.org and let us know how we're doing by taking a quick survey. If you need prayer today, reach out to prayer at somebodycares.org or you can call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.